If you're a leader whose success depends on your ability to think clearly, then join the 8-Second Daily Coach, where I'll email you daily questions to amplify your leadership in 8 seconds or less. Sign up now at ZachAaron.com forward slash daily question. That's ZachAaron, Z-A-C-H-A-R-E-N-D.com forward slash daily question. There's not a magic personality trait that gets you over self-doubt. I think it's more about just you make the choice just to do it. You're gonna have self-doubt. If you've decided this is what you want, you can just keep going after it. I think for anybody successful or not, self-doubt is there. And it's just a choice of whether to listen to self-doubt or not. Hello, and welcome to the Create Purpose podcast, where we have real conversations about the journey to creating more of what you want in your life and your business. I'm your host, Zach Arend, where at 16 years old, riding saddle broncs in the rodeo, I learned the value of trusting the process and putting in the work, eventually becoming two-time state champion. Today, I help other creative entrepreneurs and leaders on their wild rides of turning their passion into a purpose-driven business. This podcast is all about inspiring you to bring your potential to life and create your purpose. Today's guest is Susan Gordon. She's the founder and chief creator of Susan Gordon Pottery. Susan is truly a creator at heart. What began as handmade pottery and jewelry has become so much more. Her journey from leaving college and deciding whether to be a teacher, working for a nonprofit, ignoring self-doubt, and ultimately choosing to follow her artistic passion will hopefully inspire you to do the same. We'll learn about who the key influences are in her life and the moments that have shaped who she's become and what obstacles she's had to face to find her creative purpose. Today, she runs a successful pottery and jewelry business that outputs over 50,000 handmade pieces each year, while still managing to have that small business intimate feel and fostering a collaborative environment for her team. So join me as we take a look at what inspired Susan to turn her passion into a thriving business. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for having me, Zach. Great to have you on here. Well, could you take a moment just to introduce yourself really quick? Sure, yeah. Okay, so I'm Susan Gordon, and I'm the creative and owner behind Susan Gordon Pottery. And we are a small handmade manufacturing pottery studio in Birmingham, Alabama. And I live in Homewood, which is a little suburb of Alabama, and two kids and husband and busy. (laughs) Yeah, you are busy. And okay, I'm most excited about asking you this question. Okay. So you were telling me about the witch's ride. Oh, yeah. And my question is, where in the heck did you learn how to ride a bike with no hands? <laughs> Do you know what? I haven't done that in 20 years. I, you know, I have to just full disclosure tell you that the Witch's Ride is a really big event in Birmingham. It's a big deal. It's really competitive, but like in a fun, like spirit of raising money way. And that was after the Witch's Ride was over. We were riding back to our house and, you know, you get pumped up and energy. And I was riding down a flat road. My friends were in a golf cart in front of me playing loud music and I was just feeling it and I just did it. I think if I had like tried right now, I would fall down. <laughs> well, I got to say you did one heck of a impersonation of Taylor Swift. You, you did, it was a competition, right? How did you guys end up? So they do all different themes and they kind of add themes for like awards every year. It's kind of ad hoc. So they just add an award for us this year because we're the first group to do a theme, but then also a video with our theme. So like they have like best dressed witch 
best theme, best, like people do those pedal carts. So they'll have like a best pedal cart. That's like probably 12 awards. And it's all in the name of raising money for cancer research. But yeah, this year they added the award for us because we made a video. It was just kind of last minute. We just were all together. We always have a pre-party before the witches ride. We're all together. And we're like, let's just do it. Let's do it. So we decided to make a video and I'm glad we did. Awesome. And, and it's to raise funds for, is it cancer? Yes. So the lady who started it, she was from Seaside, I believe. And they had it down there for a few years. Her mother, I believe, passed away from, from cancer. They moved up to Birmingham and they started it here. And so it started a decade ago here. And, you know, it's just like a handful of people who did it the first year, but now it's like over a thousand people do it in Homewood. And it spread to, you know, Nashville, Atlanta, and all over Birmingham too. There's multiple witches rides now. So most of them do like a fundraiser for something. So. That's cool. That's cool. Well, let's get into your story a little bit because the the business that you've created and, and the work you do is just phenomenal. You make beautiful pottery and you know, you don't just wake up one morning and be able to do what you're able to do. And I, I'm curious, like, where did the, where did the passion come from? The abilities to do what you do today? Like, when did you first, when did you first realize that this was what you wanted to do? Well, I would say that I've always been really creative and always loved to draw been musically inclined. So very creatively inclined all my life. My parents are both engineers. So I think there's actually, even though some people would say that's like, whoa, that's like totally different, but actually very related. So I think it's like in my blood. And then I had distant relatives that were in the textile industry. And so I, I think it's just in my blood, but in high school, I had a really great art teacher. And I think she really shaped me end up taking like the APR classes and just loved it. And they had like recruiters come from all over schools and stuff to talk to you about opportunities for college and what you could do. And so went to Auburn for graphic design and, you know, that was, it still is, but it's a great way for artists to make money and have an actual career doing art or being creative. So I went that route, but then I took a ceramics class and was like, no, this is for me. So yeah, that's kind of the beginning of like the pottery story is sophomore year in college. And I was hooked. I just had to do it. How old were you when you first realized you had a real knack and passion for art? Honestly, I think I've been drawing since I could pick up a pencil. Yeah. I think I've always just been artistic. My mom didn't put me in any kind of like special art classes because that really wasn't a thing back when we were growing up. And I really don't even know if they had art lessons where I grew up, but she definitely always encouraged me to feed that yeah. desire and keep going. It was always very like affirming to me. Along those lines, like what was the biggest lesson you learned from your mom? Attention to detail. Her taste is impeccable. She has the most keen eye. It's so funny. My dad and my mom built a house over a decade ago and it's kind of a colonial style house. And her builder would tell you that she could spot like a 10th of an inch difference in like something that was like a little off, like by like a 10th of an inch anywhere in the house, she could spot it. Like he was always very like equally impressed and annoyed by her <laughs> ability to spot just anything. And I, hmm. I think along the way, as I like developed my own like sensibility, artistic sensibility, 
she would in a kind way have a lot of good advice to say like she just notices things that maybe I don't always notice and she still does to this day like notice things and she's like hmm, what about that have you considered that and I'm like oh yeah okay yeah she's even better than me really then I think my mom kind of wishes she had done the creative route. Yeah. Well, how did you receive that from your mom of all people? Because I have daughters and they don't always want to hear what mom has to say. And it sounds like you really took it seriously. And that's interesting. Uh, not always, for sure. I would always <laughs> fight back and be like, no, I've thought about this. Mm. You know, uh-huh. but then it always comes back around and be like, yeah, she's right. So like, this is an example she did recently. We have a storefront in Homewood and there is lighting in there, but she went in there one day and she was like, it's too dark in here. You need more lights. I was like, no, it's just a dark day outside. It's fine, you know. And then I came in the next day. I was like, she's right. So I ended up like putting more lights in the store. And I like called her. And I'm like, hey, guess what I did? Putting more lights in the store. Yeah. <laughs> so she's usually right. Wow. Very cool. Well, you know, your business has been growing. Give us a picture of like where the business is at today. We'll just ask this question. Like how many pieces are you making on an annual basis, you know, you make bowls, you make all kinds of pottery. Give us an idea of kind of the magnitude of the business today. Oh, okay. Yes. We try to make about 400 to 500 pieces a week in pottery. So that's times 52. What is that math? <laughs> a lot. A lot. Yeah. I'm not great on that either. Yes. So, you know, 25,000, give or take a few thousand pieces of pottery a year. Right. Isn't that right? Because five times five and then two zeros. Yeah. yeah. Then I would say pottery is one part of our business, but then we also do handmade jewelry and equally, I mean, more than 25,000 pieces of jewelry every year. It's huge. Honestly, we do have a smallish, smallish team of people. We only have three folks who actually make the product, literally make the product. And then we have another couple of teams that help do the next steps in the production of the product relatively small team, honestly, for what we are doing. Wow. Where did it all begin? When did you take that passion and start to imagine it becoming a business? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. My dad was an entrepreneur. And when I was in high school, I think it was 16, 17, he started his own business and he was in his 60s. So he was pretty late in life. He could have been retiring by this time. Yeah. He was like actually about to turn 60. I think is what it was. He started a business with three of his friends from work. So it's four of them that started it. And now it has over a thousand employees in like six or seven different offices around the country. Wow. It's grown to be so huge. And so I got to work for him a couple of summers. Actually, I have an employee number that everybody's jealous of. I was 007. So everybody like wants to steal my employee number and I will not give it to them. I was the seventh employee there and loved watching what he did. I thought it was really inspiring. I mean, he is totally different from me. He is basically a I mean, I kind of a rocket scientist. He does physics and weapon systems engineering and like lots of math. And I'm like, so not me. Did not get that gene at all. So incredibly smart. I think my dad's been a huge inspiration for me. He is ingenuitive. But my mom, I think she's the common sense that my dad needed along the way. So like the combination of the two of them was hugely inspiring for me. I mean, my dad's very like a risk taker. He really believes in himself. He has no doubts. Like when he tries to do something, he will definitely do it. And mom has been such a great supporter for him too. So my parents are huge. Who are you more like your mom or your dad? My mom, but I do admire my dad a lot. I admire my mom too, just for different reasons. I think I'm less emotional like my dad, but that's only come with age. When I was younger, I was a lot more emotional, but like now it's pretty rare for me to cry. My mom has never seen my dad cry. So, you know, he's not emotional, but warm and a wonderful dad, yeah. not like stoic or anything. 
So you got your inspiration came from your dad, very entrepreneurial. At what point did you decide, you know what? I think I could turn this into a business. Yes. Okay. So when I graduated college, I wanted, or well, as I was graduating college, I really wanted to be just an artist and just do art and try to make it, sell it to galleries and maybe work for a museum part-time. And my parents were like, go get your teaching certificate. You need a backup plan. I was like, okay. Went to graduate school for art education, K through 12. And I didn't have a great experience, to be honest with you. They place me with a teacher I loved, but it wasn't teaching the kind of art that I wanted to teach. It was just different anyway. And I just decided I was too young to be teaching kids. And I really wanted to work with high schoolers because they're just like more independent. They have great ideas. You know, kind of like there's like a more of like a friendship there. But with me being just so young, I just like felt like there wasn't enough boundary there. So it's like, no, I'm not going to do this. So I got a job working for a nonprofit art organization and with the only full-time employee there, I had over a dozen contract employees and that was running programs that went into like the schools. So we got like grants and did programs in the schools. In that role, I learned how to be a boss. I learned how to hire and fire people, how to write reviews for people, how to do evaluations, how to decide what pay would be and manage payroll. And I mean, really, it was a lot. How old were you? Gosh, I got hired when I was 25 or six. I had like a few like little jobs here and there between graduating from graduate school and that job. But I worked there for six and a half years, maybe seven. And I quit when I got pregnant with my first child. But along that time, while I was working there, I mean, I had a very tough boss. She was very tough. And I learned a lot from her. It was really hard working for her, but she taught me a lot. Like I said, I think I just learned on the job how to be a boss, like what it would look like to run a business. Cause I really was like running a business on my own. My boss, she had enough a job full time. So this was like her pet project. That was trial by fire, really. But, you know, after six and a half, seven years of that, all along the way, it was always trying to do enough art on the side to like try to get it to take off where I could quit and do that full time. And I had a few times along the way where I wasn't doing ceramics. I was doing other things like painting and I had some success in that career. I didn't do ceramics because it is difficult medium to do in a rental house. You can't really have a kiln in a rental house. So I was kind of doing it on the side of teaching classes as part of my job, actually, at this art nonprofit, but not really making work to sell, per se. So painting was like my outlet. And I had a studio in my house. And it was in a nasty, cricket-filled, un-air-conditioned or heated basement. But I loved it. So from there, I like started making pieces again in pottery. This was like 2012, I think, that I started doing that again, like really getting serious about pottery. And a year and a half later, I got pregnant with Mason and decided to quit and do it full time. What was that like? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's everybody's dream is to leave their job and do their passion full time. And you're doing it on the side, different types of art and pottery kind of came later. But now in Mason, second or first? First. Yeah. So you're first and you want to come home and start doing this full time. What was that like? Well, okay. I took this inspiring course by another ceramicist. Think big is what it was called. It was a great course because it just gave you worksheets and you got to listen to these speakers. It's about like how to scale your artist business. So it was like how to scale handmade in a way that doesn't sacrifice the beautiful work that you want to make. And it just asks good questions for me. And I think just even the exercise of thinking things through and writing things down, like 
what do I want to be in three years? What do I want to be in five years? Especially thinking about being pregnant. And I don't know what motherhood's going to look like for me. Like if I'm going to be home with my child or if I'm going to be sending them to school and then working. But that course got me thinking about like what I want. And so the idea of having a team of people doing it with me, because sometimes that time in the basement was really lonely, seemed really appealing to me. And I already had experience employing people. So it felt like I could easily do that. And so I did, I hired my first employee as soon as I started the LLC. I created an LLC and then started it. She and I were just like became very good friends. You know, the employees I hired were just so fun to be around. And so it was honestly at the beginning, like really fun. At the time I was filling orders for wholesale. So at the time I was completely B2B, pretty much like hundred percent taking wholesale orders. And that also was the time when Instagram was taking off. So it was like my business like shot out of the roof because of the momentum of Instagram. You said something I think really resonated with me and I wanted to highlight it because I think life really begins when we start to answer the question, what do I want? And there's that transitionary period where it's like, okay, life is changing majorly. And there's something about those moments that cause us to slow down and just start to contemplate, well, what do I really want? And it's worth acknowledging, like you took a course, you just got inspired and you started dreaming and then you started your business with an employee, which that takes courage, right? And so I'm going to get into it a little bit because, so just this morning, I was listening to a podcast. The interviewer was interviewing David Regeer, the guy who created Masterclass, you know, the TV show? Yes, yes. Love Masterclass. So he's talking about how he... Got this off the ground. Come to find out, he first started putting feelers out there by putting an ad on Craigslist. That's where it started. He just started pitching ideas. And the interviewer asked him, now after you've interviewed all the best, right? That's what he brings people on. They're the best at whatever they do. And he said, what's the one thing they all had in common? And he said, what they all had in common is that they all had self-doubt. And they figured out how to move forward in spite of the self-doubt, in many ways, because of it, they move forward. What separated them from everybody else is they were able to not let self-doubt stop them. And they were able to keep doing the work to create whatever they created to become who they became. And so along those lines, I wanted to ask you, like, what role has self-doubt played in your journey as you've started this business from nothing and to where it's today? For me, I think I always, because of my experience, felt capable of running a business employing people and being a boss, that part wasn't necessarily something I questioned. I feel like a lot of people who are artists don't question their art. They question like, can I employ somebody and really like, what's that going to look like? How am I going to let go? I don't know how to run a business. That's kind of, I feel like most people's dilemma because my work has evolved so much over the years. I think there were periods in time where I felt like, is what I'm creating something that people want? Is this going to resonate with people? And At times I create something, I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be good. You know, I'm excited about this. And then the other times I'm like, I don't know, you know, and then sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. So I think ultimately like, yes, self-doubt has definitely played a role, but I think there's not a magic personality trait that gets you over self-doubt. I think it's more about just, you make the choice just to do it. You're going to have self-doubt if you've decided this is what you want and you have to just keep going after it. I think for anybody successful or not, self-doubt is there. And it's just a choice of whether to listen to self-doubt or not. Right. That's so good. And I just think that a lot of people have that, you know, that know they're creative. They know there's something here, but, you know, to do marketing and start a business and lead people and then grow that business, 
for somebody that's right there considering that, what would you tell them? You know, what's been really impactful for me is writing down what I want, my goals, and writing it down, putting it somewhere I'm going to see every day. And I think even writing down those goals that seem irrational or seem out of reach, because it seems like every time I write them down, this has been true for 10 years in a row, every time I write them down, they seem to come true. I mean, it's just crazy. I think there's a power in writing down what you want and reminding yourself of it regularly. And I think it realigns your brain to focus your efforts towards that. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering about this, starting the business, you start out with a vision and I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and they just want to have a business where they're making a hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, they have some number and that would be success, right? Yeah. And what happens once you've achieved the vision? Have you felt like that initial vision you set out with, at what point were you like, oh my goodness, this is what I wrote down. I'm here. Okay. That was me last year. Okay. It was right before COVID. And I was writing down my goals for 2020. I was like, gosh, what do I want? You know, I feel like I've kind of crossed off all these things. And so I think for me, and part of the reason why I hired you, Zach, is kind of like the inner game of contentment and enjoying where you are. But then I think I felt a little bit like I was treading water because I'm like, okay, I've met these goals, but like, what's next? I didn't know what was next right away. And that's not like me to not know what's next. And I think for me, just resting in that for a little bit and enjoying that and just recognizing that that has happened and just celebrating it is a good thing. I think there's seasons in everybody's life and in business that you'll feel like you're climbing an uphill battle. And then all of a sudden you're like at the top of the hill and you're like, oh, this is great. But like, what's next? And I think that's okay. And for me, it took a little time, but I have definitely set new goals since that time. And they look a little different, but they may be what I expected, but I think that's okay. And they didn't all come to me all at once. They've kind of just in more like little ways. I feel like I've tweaked my role here and what it looks like and what I do on a daily basis. And I'm still tweaking it. I mean, you know, I was just talking about this, like something I'm going to make a change in 2022. That's a small tweak, but going to be hugely impactful for me. So I feel like it's more like kind of tweaking my everyday routine now, like what things am I responsible for here? And then how do I want to spend my time at work? Yeah. And we've talked about this in the past, the importance of having a vision and keeping that vision big and in front of you. There's this idea of putting yourself at the bottom of another mountain. The beauty of that is that's where life is, I believe, is in that growth process, climbing a mountain, seeing what you're made of, but do it in a way that served you. Do it in a way that felt more effortless than maybe in the past where it just felt like a constant grind. And I would make the case we're always kind of in that transition. We never arrive. But what was the real challenge for you as you're thinking about, okay, I've achieved what I've set out to achieve. Now what? What do I want? And looking back on that, what was the challenge back when you were unsure and a little bit kind of in the fog of what's next? You know, I think there was a couple of things. I think I learned the power of no and when it's appropriate to use that and being okay with that. I tend to be too accommodating. I think knowing your weaknesses and strengths too, delegating the things that you're not as good at and being okay with somebody else may come in and do a better job than you. Just swallow your ego a little bit. It's okay. And enjoying that. That has been huge for me, just hiring people that have come in to help me. And I think also it can be scary to hire somebody and pay them a salary and like benefits and things like that. But you know what? The more I've done it, it gives back in such an impactful way for me and my family. Just having people that in the past, I didn't have those people. I did it all. And, you know, I think that's somewhat necessary in the beginning, but I would say if you're in a place where your business is financially able to do it, you really ought to, because it just breathes so much freedom and life into me to have help and not as tired. 
even when I had Mason in the beginning, it was so much more energy I have now. I couldn't do what I did back then. Yeah, I couldn't. So it was a matter of necessity to just get help. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people I work with, especially creators, artists, makers, they start the business. It's just them. But in your case, you started with an employee, which is awesome. And for you know it, the business kind of starts to take off. And now all of a sudden, there's all the business stuff you got to do, like, you know, social media, bills, invoices, website, SEO, all the things. And you kind of lose touch with the passion and what started the business in the first place. You start spending all your time working in the business instead of spending your time doing your best work, doing the creative work that really fuels the business in the first place. Does that resonate with you at all? I mean, were you there at any point? Yes, I would say the burnout is definitely real. And I think right now I'm working through some just emotions of like, I'm in a handmade small batch manufacturing business in America where it's not cheap and we make something that's very difficult to make. It's hard to find people that are able to do what we do. And the demand for our product is out the roof, which is a good problem, but also still a problem. So I think right now I'm just feeling like I want to scale our handmade business. I think we've done a good job over the years of scaling it slowly and carefully. In fact, I think our product's gotten even better, which I feel really proud of myself and my team for because that is difficult, I think, to handmade products and make it in mass, but still feels really small because right now we could sell 20 times what we make, which is an amazing place to be in a business, but also equally frustrating because, you know, you think about what you could have done. But I think for me, like I'm in a season of just wishing that this could be a little easier. There's always something going on with as many employees we have. There's always something going on with somebody, whether somebody's sick or somebody has some personal stuff going on or whatever, you know, and carrying the load of that has been hard. And so just thinking through how do I care for my employees well, care for this business well, without burning myself out or my leadership out as well. With that in mind, if you were to create more of what you wanted, what's one thing that would be different for you in the business? Yeah, there are some administrative things I think I could definitely hand off. For me, what I love to do is develop products. And that's like my gifting. I love just sketching and thinking about what I want to create. And right now I'm working on our 2022 jewelry collection for the entire year. And, you know, it takes a lot of uninterrupted time. And so unfortunately, when you're here and in the business, there's interruptions all day. So you know, just thinking about next year, like we're moving into a new office. I'm so excited to have my own office for the first time ever in my life. Because even in my job where I was the only full-time employee, we had kind of rotating people that would come in and help, bookkeeper, teachers, et cetera. So I'm very excited to have my own office. And I think that will be helpful. So there's some good changes on the horizon for me as far as helping me hone in on like spending more time and doing what I think I do best. And I'm very relational and I love chatting with my employees and being out there on the floor and helping with whatever. So that's also something I want to create more of. And then I think I have this now, but I think something in the past I've wanted to create more of is just flexibility, being able to like leave at 2.30, not feel guilty to take my kids to gymnastics or soccer or whatever. And I'm doing that now. And that's been really good this year. Let's talk about that because I think a lot of business owners, they struggle with that tension between I feel guilty when I'm at home. I feel guilty when I'm at work. When I'm at work, I feel guilty that I'm not at home, you know, or vice versa. And there's just this constant pull towards the two worlds of being home and being in the business, helping the team. And so what has worked for you? What have you found to help you through that and navigate that and give yourself some permission or some boundaries to give yourself the space that you need to take care of yourself? What has been effective for me is just being candid with my employees. 
and then giving them that freedom to be, our workplace is pretty laid back and people can, you make their own hours here. There's not as much of a set schedule, but it's also like an honor system of, Hey, you got to do your job. I think everybody understands that now. And we've been doing that for so long. It's just one of the benefits here. And it's something I hadn't necessarily given myself that freedom for a long time. I didn't give myself that freedom because I think you know, as the boss trying to get this going, I feel like I always had to be around, you know, when I had my second child, I barely took any maternity leave and that was hard. And I wish at the time I would have, because the business would have been fine. I think I took like five and a half weeks with my second child. Part of it was like ready to get back to work. Yeah, I think giving your employees that and then having candid conversations with them has been really good for me. Just to be like, Hey, like I just need a break. You know, I think just seeing that you're human, like too, and you have a family too. And some of my employees have families too, and they understand. And I think for me, like be understanding of them, it's easier for them to give it back to me. Yeah, there's something about being real, open, honest, vulnerable. It breeds the same in others, right? And that's really cool. Good for you that you're having those conversations to be candid because by you giving yourself permission to do that, you also give others the permission to do that. Like you just said, as leadership goes in a business, so goes everyone else. So what I often find is if the owner and the leaders burn out, burning the candle at both ends, that trickles throughout the whole culture and everybody has that mentality and it's just not sustainable and good for you for going first and role modeling, you know, self-care and taking care of yourself because you're in a creative business and it's not just you, you have a lot of creative people that work with you and the key to creativity is being inspired and being full. And so if you're running on empty, everything suffers because of that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I have a few more questions for you. These are quick fire questions. Who are your top three inspirations? Who has really inspired you in what you're doing? Whether they're other business people, artists. Yeah. Top one would be Josiah Wedgwood. He has been dubbed the father of modern marketing. Kind of one of the first entrepreneurs. I mean, he lived like 150 years ago or something. I mean, he's so long gone. But his family founded Wedgwood, which is that blue and white China. He was one of the first people to go around travel and do like pre-sale. So he would take samples and then go around and travel to rich people's houses and pre-sell his handmade wares. He had polio as a child, so he couldn't make the pottery. So that's why he moved into more of like a CEO sort of role. But he also was a genius potter. He invented Jasper Ware, which is that blue and white pottery you see on Wedgwood. He invented processes that hadn't existed before. And his family was making pottery. China was where everybody wanted to get their things. And so he developed English porcelain that became famous. Yeah, he really changed the landscape of pottery, European pottery, as we know it now. And my city, Birmingham, my museum actually has the largest collection of Wedgwood, weirdly. Uh, there's a couple of families here, I think, that just gave it to the museum that when they passed away. But I feel like I know a lot about him and I just love that he was equally an artist and equally a uh, smart entrepreneur, which I think some people think, oh, you're right-brained or left-brained, you don't have both. Like, I definitely think people have both. He's been a big inspiration for me to have that freedom to be like, no, no, I'm not just right brain. I left brain too. I'm logical too. And I can think in business terms. And then I would say, you know, honestly, my mastermind gals that were in my mastermind, we still boxer and keep up with each other. They're all inspiring me for different reasons, but they're just women like me going and getting it out there in the business world and taking a big slice of the pie. I think it's just awesome. Um, you know, some of them have eight-figure businesses. And I think that is just incredible and built it from scratch. A few of them are, I'll just name a couple of them, but there's more. My friend, Anne with Yearly Co who makes gold bangles. I think Zach, you work with her. And then a friend, Corrine, who you also work with, who curates beautiful wool and yarn and makes beautiful things and inspires her community to make beautiful things. And then my friend, Larissa, 
who does jewelry as well. And she makes handmade jewelry and manufactures it. So I love how she manufactures it in-house, has a staff, and then she's opening a storefront soon. So yeah, those are some of my women. And Awesome. Yeah, no question. I do know some of those women. They're extremely inspirational. And I think there's a lesson. Getting around other women, other people who are doing the work, they're in it. They've got their sleeves rolled up. They're climbing their own mountain. And maybe some of them are further along than you are. What advice do you have to people who are looking for that type of group. They want more of that because so many, I think, entrepreneurs, women especially, they feel alone, right? They feel like they're cutting a whole new path and they're doing it all by themselves. And that can be very lonely. So what advice do you have for people that are in that and wanting more support? I have not done this myself, but I would love to get together with local business owners and just be with them and like meet regularly. I think I did a mastermind with the product boss, which is actually how I found you. I think it would 18 months that we met. And so we had scheduled meetings, Zoom calls. I started that in September of 2019. They walked me through COVID. This business would not have survived if I had not had those women in my life because they were in all different parts of the country. And one of them was in Seattle. So like the main hub in the very beginning, just what they were experiencing and, you know, staying at home and, you know, dealing with all that, like how do we run a business, but then work from home when it's manufacturing and we have to be here, you know, just, whoa. And then just talking about all the legal things that were happening with COVID, like, but anytime, it doesn't matter if COVID or not, anytime, I feel like I still walk to them almost every single day asking them like, Hey, do you do this? Or do you do that? Or what do y'all think about this? Or if this happened, what do you think? And then equally they're asking questions back. And I mean, as a CEO, it is very lonely, especially women in the South. Not a lot of my friends work, almost none of them own businesses. It's hard. I think because we're all so busy having that like structure and dedicated time of doing a mastermind was just, it was on my calendar. You know, it was already on my calendar. Oh, can't meet that time because I'm doing my mastermind, you know? And it was like two hours twice a month. And then we had our boxer anytime we wanted to, but it was just so huge for me. I think having that community of women that were all kind of at the top alone and able just to talk about anything that comes up. And it was just incredibly impactful for me. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's as simple as finding those people and just staying connected to them. And I think it's one of the challenges we kind of feel like, well, everybody's so busy. I don't want to bother them or they're busy. They got their own struggles and they're building their business. What do you have to say to that? Like, are you too busy? No, you're not. You're not. You just have to make it a priority. And at the end of the day, it is hard to make it a priority. I get it. There's fires you got to put out, but the ticket is to put it on my calendar. And if it's on my calendar, then I'm not available. You know, I don't want to oversimplify it, but that is what works for me. So I think figuring out how to like make it a priority for yourself, I tend to be a slave to my calendar. So, you know, <laughs> it's all there. I do it. But yeah, I think that and then getting people that are equally as hungry for it as you to, to stay committed to it for even like a, it can be a short amount of time, like six months. And then at the end of six months, you figure out if you want to keep going, you know, maybe it's not the group for you and you kind of reinvent the group or join a mastermind that's already existing you know, too, there's lots of them online. It can be hard to get together in person sometimes. And I think it was easier for me because we did it during the work day. Like there was like meeting from like 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock during the weekday. If we were going to try to do it at night, it would have been impossible for me. I just can't commit to that. So yes. Well, as we kind of get close to the end here, I have a personal question. I want some advice because okay. I, I have three daughters. Yep. Um, my oldest is Claire, my middle and Sophie and my little three-year-old is Thea. Claire is really into art. 
loves writing and drawing. Um, I catch her in her bedroom, I get 10 o'clock at night, drawing something on canvas. So she's got this passion. And so I want to ask you, and all my daughters have their thing, but let's just stay with Claire for a moment. What advice do you have for me to cultivate that passion and allow her to continue to explore that? Okay. So, you know, I told you before, I did not have really art classes growing up. And I think if the opportunity is there to put her in any kind of art class, anything creative where she can use her hands and her creative mind, develop that outside of school, she needs to do it. And then just take her to museums. I mean, show her what other artists are doing that are professional, you know, take her to cities that she can see really cool art. And like, I mean, the MoMA in New York would be like a dream to take Mason to just, that is just some really cool art, like really unique stuff. And just thinking outside the box, not just a beautiful painting. And then, you know, local art shows are going to more of like attainable thing craft fairs, see what other living artists are doing and how they, how they do it. Let her interview them. So good. I think that's cool. As a kid, it's really cool. Mason and Maddox both take art classes and they have two different teachers that we kind of rotate out, but I think it's important that whoever they take art classes from nurtures their creative heart. There's that side of it where they don't feel like they're like being told that something they're doing is wrong, especially when they're young. But then as they get older and get more serious about it, I think it's important they have somebody who's going to help them develop their critical eye and to push them a little bit. You know, it's like putting on a new lens in a way. Like my art teacher in high school was like that. She just taught me so many things that helped me open my eyes to like be like, oh, I see it now. You know, if you can afford it and have the time and it's available, I would definitely recommend that. Because, you know, when I got to college, the people that were in art school with me, you could tell who had that and who didn't. They were a step ahead for sure. Yes. No, it's good. I actually was taking a lot of notes while you're talking. Okay, good. (laughs) So I've got a couple just quick fire questions for you. What book, podcast, or person is inspiring you right now and why? Okay, yeah. Um, I'm reading a book about the Cartiers. So the family that built Cartier and how when the three brothers set out to start the business in the 1800s, I think it was, they wanted to be the best. They wanted to be the best jewelry, most beautiful things in the world. And they do. And I think that's something that resonates with me. I want to be the best. I want to be like Josiah Wedgwood. So yeah, that's been really interesting to watch, but reading about the family and just, it's more about their story versus, and it is about the, how they built the empire, but just how they were humans and imperfect humans, but they did it. Awesome. Well, what is one specific thing you do for self-care and to recharge? Travel hundred percent. Yeah. Getting away. My husband and I are going on a trip next week. So excited. Yeah. The in-laws are coming to stay with the kids. I think even travel with my kids is great. Like going to the beach with them. It doesn't have to be like without kids, but I mean, obviously you're going to get more rest without them, but just getting away. I tend to get the most ideas and most creative juices start flowing when I'm traveling. Yeah. And then the last question, there's a lot of people that are listening that are in it. They're doing the work. They're trying to build a business. They've got a passion. They might be well into it and they might be seven, eight figures. They might be six figures or zero, you know, but if you could leave everyone with just one sentence to encourage them, give them some advice, just what would you want to leave them with? The advice I got when I first started, which really shaped me was just knowing your strengths and your weaknesses, being very self-aware of that. Yeah. And then not being afraid to delegate what takes more brain power for you, what just feels hard for you, and then trying to work in more your genius zone. And I'm still working towards that. That is a work in progress. But you know, not being afraid to delegate, hire somebody that will help you with bookkeeping, hire somebody that will help you with HR. 
or marketing or whatever, just do it. Even if it's a contract person that is remote, do it. Because if that's not your strength, then there's somebody out there that can do it better than you. And as I hire people and move people into roles that are like kind of my core team that work directly with me, I'm continuously amazed at their desire to want to do it well, the way I want it and how they're committed to their roles and to the company. And they do it better than I can imagine, honestly, which is pretty cool. Yeah. If you want to be the best, you need to know what it is that you are the best at and spend all your time doing that. Like that's what you're describing, that genius zone. I love that. I'm just going to tack on one little thing. One thing I've done is in the past, I've hired warm bodies just to have somebody fill a role. Be picky. Be so picky. You know, I talk about that hire slow, fire fast, but you know, I think it's just more about be picky. Like don't just hire somebody because they're interested in the job. Like, oh, you want to work with me? Wow. You know, like, okay, let's do it. You know, make sure that they have what you need them to have and be flexible. Like maybe that person gets hired for X, but then you end up needing them for Y. That's happened a ton here. Um, I think being flexible in that is is also good. Right. If you can find good people, you can always train good people, but be picky about who you hire. You got to enjoy working with them. You spend almost as much time with them as you do your own family. So you got to enjoy them. You got to enjoy being around them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation, Susan. Thanks for jumping on here. And I know how busy you are, especially in this time of year. And to, for you to take 45 minutes, an hour out of your day to, to do this means a lot. So thank you. Thank you. It was fun. Yes. Well, we'll talk soon and maybe we'll have you back on down the road. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Wow. So there you have it. Thanks so much for joining us in this conversation. I hope you found something that really resonates with you. You know, looking back on that episode, there's one thing that if you take anything from that conversation, it's this. And that is that everything changes when you begin answering one simple question. And that question is, what do I want? That was the question Susan first sat down and contemplated, which led her to creating the business she has today. It started with one simple question and slowing down to listen for the answer. And so what do you want? You know, because that's such an important question, because once you get clear on that question, your life gets simple. You're either creating more of what you want in your life or your business, or you're creating more of what you don't want. And that clarity changes everything. So finally, I have one small favor to ask of you. Wherever you get your podcast, be that Apple Music or Spotify, if you enjoyed this podcast and what we're trying to do here, please take 30 seconds of your time to just leave us a five-star rating. It really helps us grow the number of people that hear this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to Susan for her time and her words of wisdom. You can find Susan Gordon at susangordonpottery.com or on Instagram at susangordonpottery. Thanks to my team, Ashley Bolden, who handles all the admin for me, and Chris Skipper, who provides the editing and music for this podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Zach.Aaron. And to get more information about Create Purpose, you can visit www.createpurpose.net. I'm your host, Zach Aaron, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Create Purpose podcast. Bye for now. 
If you're a leader whose success depends on your ability to think clearly, then join the 8 Second Daily Coach, where I'll email you daily questions to amplify your leadership in 8 seconds or less. Sign up now at zacharen.com forward slash daily question. That's zacharen, Z-A-C-H-A-R-E-N-D.com forward slash daily question.